this week and next week, based on us just having a great, great child dedication, I decided that we were going to honor the next two weeks and just talk about parenting. Um, so if you're here in the room and, and, and you just go, well, golly, parenting, I'm checked out, I'm, I'm 84, my days of parenting, grandparenting, and great-grandparenting are over. Can anybody say amen? Uh, but how many of you know they never are? I used to think when my kids got to be a certain age, come on, my, my baby's almost 26 or is 26, so we're, we've got four kids, 26, 29, 33, 34, and almost 35 or something like that. I can't remember now. Anyway, 36, almost 36. And so we've got four kids, we've got five grandkids. And I used to think that when my kids got to be a certain age that my day of parenting would be over. And it's, it is, I'm not parenting my kids, but I'm counseling them and they ask me for advice. But how many know when they got, when they got kids, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're grandparenting again. And how many of you know that, that you wish that you just had the grandkids first before the kids? Come on, anybody say amen? Yeah. Because it's like... They were, we had the two little guys over, you know, Taylor almost eight and Aria you know, almost three over the house last night. And, and, and it's like, whatever you want to do, yes. You want cereal for supper? Yes. How about some pancakes? Yes. Chocolate chip, uh, you know, muffin? Yes. Grandparenting is a riot. Let me tell you, it's just a riot. Let, let's, talk, let, let's talk about some stuff from the Word of God, because I think everybody, whether you've been to church or not, listen, you, you're going to get a chance to leave with something today. And, and at the end of the service, what I'm going to ask us to do is maybe something a little bit unusual. It, it's been a, a little bit unusual for our church. We'll, we'll do something that I'm going to ask us to have about 30 seconds of just quietness and stillness to think about what you just heard. Because here's the error, is that we think about coming to church or maybe being around God and people and maybe reading the Bible that we read it and we forget it. We're, we're here and then we're, we're thinking about what happens after here. And so I want us to settle down and slow down at the end of the service just for a few seconds and just ask God, help me, talk to me about what I just heard. How can I work it in my life? And I believe it's going to make a difference in our life. I think we're all on the same page that we can see that there's just an attack and a destruction on the family like never before. Uh, we know, again, I believe we're all on the same page. Again, wherever you're at, that we can see that if we allow culture or if we allow the school system or we allow friends or we allow music or we allow feelings to come in and talk to us about our families, we're probably probably going to go, go awry. Um, as I look at families today, even, you know, great, great hope for our families, these that are up here in you in the congregation and across our city and the world. I, I've got great hope, but listen, I'm, I'm just telling you, um, I'm, I'm kind of glad right now I'm not raising my family. But here's what I do know, and so I'm flipping the coin God allowed me and Kimberly to be born when we were born to raise our families where we raised them. And there was grace and ability for us. God allowed every family to come together, every man, every woman, and to have children. And God will grace you in every season of your life. So even though we look back and we go, wow, it was easier, wow, wow, you know, listen, right now for every family, every parent that we just dedicated their child and every pa parent in the room, 
there's grace and ability for you to lead your family in a way that will honor God. There's a way. I do believe that God brought all of us to his kingdom for such a time as this. God didn't allow us to be born in the 16th century. Didn't allow us to be born on a different, maybe a different continent or country, but, but we're here now. And so God wants to empower you and I with his word and with his spirit, with his counsel, with his will, so that we can make a difference in the earth. All across the scripture, you'll see men and women who decided based on the will of God, the purpose of God, based on saying yes to God, who made an eternal impact. It was treacherous. It was difficult at times. And we read stories that are not in the scripture of people who made crazy decisions to honor God. Like a couple days ago, a woman by the name of Corey Ten Boom that, that lived, you know, uh, died in 1983, I believe, was raised outside of Amsterdam. And she and her family hid 800 Jews during the Holocaust. And they were found out and they were brought to a prison camp. Her father died. Her sister died. But in that prison camp, they had a Bible that was brought in and hid in. And she began having studies and people got saved and people got delivered. And she changed the environment because she decided, I want to honor God with my life. We all can do that with our families. But it doesn't come free. It doesn't come easy. It comes with diligence and things that we have to make up our minds that I want my family to be different. And listen, parents, let me let you off the hook. God knows your child better than you know your child. And even if you do the right thing, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't guarantee your kids will because they have their own will and choice. And so parents, listen to me. Let me tell you, if you decide to follow God and your kids do not at a certain age, that is up to them, not up to you. But it doesn't mean you unhook and say, I, uh, I can't do anything. No, you can do something. You can do a great, great thing, and that's called you can pray. Come on, somebody say pray. Amen. Yeah, we can pray. We can pray. Proverbs 24. I've got some scriptures will be here and be on the triple screen back there. Read it with me. Follow along. A house is built by wisdom, becomes strong through common sense or good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Want to build a house? I think you do. A home, a family, a marriage, a life? Yeah, it's going to tell us what to do. No prefab construction here. No, no, no bringing the big house down the highway. No, no. Back in the day, you, you, you had to get everything. You hewed your own own lumber. You, you gathered your own stones. You built it by hand. <laughs> he tells us a house is built. This is your top priority next to your marriage. If you're married, this is, this is above your career. This is above you making money. This is above your hobbies. The scripture tells us you and I, if we're committed to come into a marriage relationship, we want to have kids. Our priority now is I've got to build my family. I've got to build this home. And I'm going to need some tools. He tells us a couple things. You're going to need common sense. You're going to need good sense. You're going to need to know what's right and what's wrong. Not, not what's culturally accepted. You're going to need to know that. You're going to need to have some, uh, like my grandma called it, chutzpah. <laughs> whatever that meant. In, in, in your house. Where you're going to tell your children, 
This is what we are going to believe and this is what we are not going to believe in this house. I don't care what goes on outside that house, but in this house, here's what this family is going to believe. Common sense. Like someone said, common sense today is pretty uncommon. He says, you're going to need knowledge. You're going to need knowledge. You're going to need knowledge from the word of God. You're going to need knowledge from the scriptures. You're going to need knowledge from, from, from a church. You're going to need knowledge from the Bible, from a small group. If you don't have it yourself, you're going to need to keep getting it. What, what's God say about your family? What's God say about parenting? What's God say about discipline? What's God say uh, uh, about morals? Not what the culture says, not what I'm feeling, not what I look like today, not what Hollywood says. What's God say? How I can build my family. And then he says you're going to need to apply that knowledge. It's called wisdom. You can have it all, but not even apply it. We, we all know we're, we're inundated with what to do. We know what to do. Many of us in all kinds of things, but we don't do it. But if we're going to be people of wisdom, building a family, we're going to have to act on what we know, even if it's against the flow of the culture we're living in. I believe this with all my heart is that you can never stop building your family. Never stop building your family. The minute you stop building your family, listen to me, something else or someone else has picked up the tools and are building your family. You can never stop building your family. And having a good family, listen to me, takes work. It just flat out takes work. It's going to be tiresome. It's going to be arduous. There's going to be seasons that you want to tap out. And I'm praying and I'm asking every parent, every grandparent, every caregiver here that you do not tap out from the responsibility of raising your kids the way God wants to raise them. Amen. I, I, we, we work on our job. We work on our career. We work on online. We're taking some extra classes. We work on our health with food and sleep and exercise. All very, very important, but the scripture tells us, work on your family. Work on your family every day. Make it a priority for your life. The foundation of a house is the most important part of the house, but we don't ever think about it. We, we go around, maybe you bought a new house, and, and you'll have a home inspection, and if the, if the foundation of the slabs crack, that's going to bring up some, uh, so, some problems, uh, but, but it's, we don't really think about it. You know, we think about the room size, and we think about the paint color, and we think about the, 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 the cabinetry, and we, th we come on, we think about how many bedrooms and bathrooms in the yard or garages, but we don't think about the foundation. The foundation is what causes the house to have substance and structure and not crack. And God says the foundation of your life must be the foundation of the will of God and the word of God in a family. Otherwise, when the winds of change come, when the storms of life blow, it will blow your house away. We have to hear the word and we have to continually act on the word. Um, you know, and I'll just say this. I've known some parents that, that were just like hyper on one side, and it was almost like they, they drove a wedge in between them and their kids. I don't think we need to serve God and be weird. Can I get an amen in the room? I just think we need to bring God into everything that we're doing. 
uh, but I don't, need, I, I don't think we need to be crazy on that. I just think we bring God into everything that we're doing. When, when your children are young, you just bring them up into that, a, a God's will, God's purpose, and, and you look at a rainbow, and come on, remember Noah. And, and, and that, that's the importance of knowing the Word of God, knowing what God said and bringing them in an environment that's going to support the values that you have that God has as well. There's a guy in the Old Testament, and his name's Nehemiah. He had a cush job in Nehemiah chapter 1. He was a king's cupbearer. He was, he was, you know, cutting off filet mignon, eating it, making sure it wasn't poison, and drinking the wine, making sure they weren't trying to kill the king. Well, he found out word that his city, which was Jerusalem, that the gates were broken down and the walls were broken down. Everything was burned with fire. God put it on his brother's heart to go back and to do something about it. And he went back and he looked around the city for about three days and God gave him a phenomenal plan. And they began working and constructing on, that, on the walls, building them up again and, and, and causing the, the, the gates to be hung again. And they caused the city to be fortified because if your gates are broken down, your walls are destroyed, the the enemy can come in and just keep coming in your life. And that is, that is the story of most families, where the enemy just keeps coming in and pillaging and taking and destroying, which Jesus said and tells us this is who the enemy is. John 10.10, 10. the thief comes for only three reasons, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's killing dreams and destinies. He's destroying families. He's taking families away. He's causing crazy confusion in our kids. Whatever, whatever's the latest. And where you go, how can this be going on? Because God's empowered you and I to build a wall, put on gates, and say that will be out there, but that will not be in here. I'm going to build the wall of my family. God told Nehemiah, and Nehemiah then instructed the people, here's how we're going to build. Since the enemies are still out there, we're not denying the enemies out there. He says, when we build this wall, I want you to have a tool in one hand and a weapon in your other hand. Have a tool in one hand, have a hammer, have a saw, have a trowel in one hand, but have a spear, have a knife, have a javelin in the other hand. Because listen to me, listen to me. You're always going to be building, always going to be building. And always you're going to be facing a battle in your family. You're going to have to have an instrument to build, and you're going to have to have an instrument to defend. You're going to have to know how I can build up this child and how I can destroy and throw down the lies and the attacks of the enemy coming against them. I got to know how, I got to, know how to build up them to pick right friends, and I got to be around them enough to go, we're going to get that friend out of their life. We're going to cut that off from their life. Because if you don't, they will take your children away, like happened time and time again in the Old Testament, where the people were taken away captive by the alien arm armies. God doesn't want this to happen to your family. I believe this as we prayed this earlier with the families, and you heard us say it, is that really raising kids means raising yourself. If you're a parent, it means I've got to come on. I've got to amp up my game. I've got to buck up. I've got to sit up to the big boy table. I've got to, I, 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 I know I'm tired. I, I know it's wearing. I, 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 but the stakes are too high just to say I'll let the school system do it or, or even I'll let the church do it. Uh, because, come on, let's be real. 45 minutes with our kids downstairs or, or an hour and a half with our kids downstairs isn't going to change their life forever. 
They need to have that stability in the home. Having time in the home where if your children are small, that you'd read Bible story, you'd pray with them, you'd pray before meals. Again, you're using every opportunity you can to instruct and to lead and to steer and to build up and to get off them whatever the enemy is trying to put on them. There are two stories I want to read. We'll, we'll, we'll look at it from the Old Testament because they have implications for today, I think, that we'll look at. And then we'll just talk for a few more minutes after that. And generally that means longer than a few more minutes. So forgive me. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Check out this scripture. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. Check out why. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel and said, Oh, oh that you'd bless me and that you'd expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all the trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. If you look at different translations from what this scripture says, that his mother, because the, the, the childbirth had been so difficult, she names this boy Jabez. The word Jabez actually means distress. It means sorrow maker. It means one who brings pain. How would you like to be labeled that your entire life? This is Jabez. Hey, Jabe, hey, pain in the neck. <laughs> All your life, this is what you were called. The brother evidently knows a little bit about God, maybe a lot about God. We don't know anything besides these couple of verses about this brother, but it made it to the scripture for a reason, for you and me. Because he's telling us that he cries out to God and he says, I don't want to be this guy anymore. I don't want to have this, this stigma in my life. Lord, Lord, change me. Change, I don't want to cause pain. And the scripture says God heard him. I don't want to be identified by this any longer. I don't want my identity to be sorrow maker and pain and, and distress bringer. Scripture says God changed his name. God, God, God granted him his request. He, he, he had a change of character. But, but aside from that, listen to me, what his mom called him, he became. What she called him. Second story we find from the scriptures in Genesis chapter 35, a little bit, a couple verses longer, but I know you'll track with me. Scripture about a guy named Jacob, and he's got a wife named Rachel. And it's a pretty awful story here because something terrible is going to happen to her. Let's read it. Leaving Bethel, Jacob and his clan moved on toward Ephraim. And, and Rachel, that's his wife, went into labor while they were still some distance away. Her labor pains were intense. After a very hard delivery, there it is again, the midwife finally exclaimed, don't be afraid, you have another son. Rachel was about to die, but with her last breath, she named the baby Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. Sound, sound similar? The baby's father, however, called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Jacob's wife wound up dying in childbirth. And in the pain and in the sorrow, in the frustration, in the anguish, she names him son of my sorrow, similar to Jabez. Pain, sorrow maker, your, your distress. 
But Jacob says, we're not going to name him that. We're not going to call him that. I'm not calling my son stupid, slow, never going to make it, never going to increase, never going to be anybody. You could just, you're just like your father. You're just like your grandfather. You're just like your mother. You're a backbiter. You're a gossiper. You're, you're frustrated. You're, whatever you say, they have the power to become. And Jacob says, we're not doing that. Sad to say is that Rachel didn't get a chance to see the reversal and see the blessing that this son brought. The scripture says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those that are wise will eat the fruit of it. In other words, you have the power to control so many things that out of your own life that you speak, positively or negatively. It draws things to you. It repels things to you, from you. With families, you have the power and ability to speak blessing and encouragement and, and love and acceptance and, 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 and joy over your children. And they wind up becoming that because there's an environment that's different than the world. It's an environment in the home that protects them and keeps them from this evil. I was thinking this past week, how did this guy Jacob come up with this? All of a sudden, the wife's saying this, and again, names are very powerful in the Old Testament. Who they were, what the name was, you'll read time and time again, the people that got that name became that. So, so, so Jacob knows this. How did he know this? Well, a couple chapters earlier, you'll read in Genesis chapter 32 that he has an encounter where he's wrestling with the angel of God. And he's in this wrestling match with, with really Jesus in the Old Testament. An appearance of Jesus, and he's wrestling with the angel of God, and he says, I won't let you go, Jacob says, until you bless me. And the angel of God comes to him and says, what is your name? And Jacob, one translation says, in fear and trembling, because he realizes who he has been his whole life, he says, I'm a schemer, I'm a trickster, I'm a swindler, and I'm a cheat. And the Bible says, God then spoke to him and said, no longer shall your name be called that, for I'm giving you a new name. Your name now will become Israel. Israel. He knew the power and he recognized the power of a new name. Let me encourage your parents. Don't speak what you see over your children. Speak what you want over your children. Don't speak what it looks like. Don't, 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 don't speak what even they might look like they're becoming. Call things that be not as though they were. Speak prophetic words. Get scriptures. Speak it over your children. And let's watch God get involved in the middle of your family. Can anybody say amen? Come on, you're listening so good, I feel inspired to read some more. <laughs> Judges chapter 6. A couple more stories here. It's a story of a guy named Gideon. Again, the culture, the nation of Israel was away from God. They weren't serving God. Uh, we said it before around here. They're like a yo-yo. They'd serve God, everything good. All of a sudden, it's so good, they'd leave God. Sound familiar? So much prosperity, so much joy, bank accounts full, 401k. Yay, God, let's go to the beach. And God says, we'll take some of that stuff away from you, and maybe you'll come back to me. It's exactly what went on time and time again in Israel's history. And this is a time they're away from God. And God raises up judges. Hence the book is called Judges, who would bring, their, bring the people of, uh, of Israel back to God's heart and God could speak to them. 
It says this in Judges chapter 6, verse 25 about this guy named Gideon. It came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull and take the bull of seven years old. And he says, tear down the altar of Baal. Baal is false gods worship. That's what that means. Tear down that altar of Baal that your father has and cut it down. Cut down the wooden image that's beside it. And he says, build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood image which you shall cut down. So so he tells them exactly what to do. He says, but how many know it's pretty difficult if your daddy built something and now you as a son are going to go tear it down? Hmm. He tells them three things. He says, tear down the altar of Baal. Tear down that thing that your dad put up. Tear down that thing that your dad put up. He says, number two, cut down the wooden image. Another wooden image that's there. That they would worship that. People's hearts are being led astray. And he says, number three, in its place, build an altar to the Lord your God. Tear down, cut down, and build. Going to take a lot of work. But I want you to tear it down, cut down, and I want you to build. Build, he says, an altar On top of this rock. Many times in the Old Testament, rocks mean places of strongholds. Where there's strongholds that have been there for a long time. Take this place that's a stronghold. It's immovable. It's a foundation. It's long-standing. An altar of Baal. False worship. That's not only in your family, but in the community. And I want you to do something with it. You're going to be nervous, yeah. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be some harsh words probably between you and Pop. But... Gideon understands, for me and my house, I've got to have a change in my life. And I'm going to make a change in the community that I'm in. What I know about building, which isn't a whole lot, but whatever you build, spiritually, physically, it gets harder and harder to destroy. And if you're not careful... The pressure to just keep things in your life will overwhelm the intensity and the knowledge that I need to get this out of my life. God tells him, build an altar, build an altar to God where there was a stronghold to the enemy. We've all seen strongholds in families, addictions in families, alcohol, drugs, selfishness, pride, greed, anger, racism, cursing, lying, negativity, all kind of sexual sins, all kind of gossip. God says, all these things we've seen in our natural families, I want to get it out of your family. So you're going to have to tear this down. You're going to have to cut this down. So, so listen, so it doesn't pass down. You do something in your life with the altar and the enemy that's trying to invade your life. Again, Proverbs 24 Through wisdom, a house is built, a life is built, a marriage is built, a family is built. So God tells Gideon to build an altar. We read it. Build an altar. In the Old Testament, altars, altars are places of sacrifice. Altars are places of worship. Altars are places of prayer. Worship, sacrifice, prayer. That now God wants me to incorporate this into my family as a parent in my own life. If I'm single, if I'm parentless, if all my children are grown, still still is the same, same scenario for my life. God wants my house to be a place of sacrificing for one another in my house, my spouse. 
God wants my house to be a place of worship, where we're not worshiping one another or worshiping culture, we're worshiping God. And, and, and a place of prayer, where we're honoring God and asking God to intersect every single thing that we're doing. And God tells him, Gideon, he says, take that wood, take, the, take that, that sacrifice, and he says, arrange it in a proper order. The arrangement had to be proper. Meaning, there's a way that God wants and will instruct you how to build your family. How am I going to know? We build our families according to the authority of God's word. Not what's culture, not what it feels like, not what it looks like, not what everybody else is doing. God, what do you say should be the foundation stones of my family's future? Gideon would have never broken out of idolatry. Listen, he would have never broken out of this idolatry Baal worship unless he had an encounter with God. Listen to me. If parents will encounter God, they can end the enemy's strongholds in their family. If you will just have, come on, that would be a good place to clap right there. We just clap, we just say, Lord, I want to encounter you. I want you in my own life. I want you in my life so that something doesn't pass down to the next generation. And you might be thinking, well, Gary, you just don't know. <laughs> it's like too little, too late. I, I, I wish that I heard this 30 years ago. Listen to me. God is amazing at restoring. Come on, everybody. He's amazing at restoring. Just ask him to come into your life. And let me encourage you. Don't defend a family altar that God hasn't defended. Don't defend it. Don't defend a belief system, a thought system, a prevailing identity, whether it's race or economics, socioeconomics, or Americanism, whatever that means. Don't defend anything that God has not defended in his word. God demanded that that altar be removed. It's like God saying this to Gideon. For me to move in you and in this city and in your family, that has to go. It's got to go. So my question to you as we just wind down, what is God asking you to get out of your life and your family's life? What is he asking what is he speaking to you that maybe you've allowed in your life? And you can see if I don't build a wall, if I don't erect the gates, if I don't put the proper bars on the door of my life and my family, the enemy will keep coming in faster and farther and harder and more ardent than ever before. I pray that this last scripture that I mentioned to you will be a foundation for your and my life for the rest of our life. It's in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And here's how it reads. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fearing God doesn't mean being afraid of God. I'm afraid he's going to kill me. I'm afraid he's going to strike me down. No, no, no. It means a reverential respect and honor. I reverentially honor you and respect you. And I'm asking you to come into my life and change me and change the trajectory 
and, and direction of my family. I don't know what to do, Lord, here. I don't know how to get my family out of the mess I'm in, but I'm fearing you, and I'm asking you to give me counsel, give me wisdom, give me scripture. I want my family to succeed in this earth. Can anybody say amen? amen. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, we're going to do something just a little bit different. Next 30 seconds, here we are. Just close your eyes right there in the stillness. You've heard the word of God this morning. What attack is coming against your life? What stronghold? What do you need to surrender to the Lord right now? Where is he trying to meet you that you've sensed the tug on, his heart, on your heart? Father, I'm asking you this morning that every one of us in this room, everyone listening online, would be used by you to make a difference in our families. Father, help us, help us like Jacob, change what's been said and speak life and blessing over our children and our grandchildren, over our spouses. You've given us the power to speak and to declare. Let wisdom build our house. Give us common good sense. Give us knowledge and understanding, O oh God. Father, and we pray you'd alert us to any altars that have been built up in our life from generations past in our family, in our lineage, in our minds, in our wills, in our emotions. And that, Father, we would tear them down with your spirit and your power and make a new direction for our family. Lord, we worship you today. Come on, all over the room while your head's bowed, your eyes closed. Just give everyone the right to privacy, just 20 more seconds. You're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. I'm not talking to you about joining Spectrum Church or a church. I'm talking about you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. All over the room, you can make a decision today, right there in the stillness of your chair, as we all will say a prayer out loud, where you just either commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. All that saying is, I'm, I, I'm, I'm blowing the whistle on myself. I've not been who God wants me to be, and I'm not doing what God wants me to do, and I'm asking you to come into my life and change me. If you'll take me, I want you. And the scripture's real clear, he wants you. So all across the room, come on, when I count to three, just slip up your hand and we'll just put it right back down. It's just an acknowledgement, that's me. I want prayer for my life and we'll say a prayer out loud. Come on, all over the room. You want to be included in that? Come on, one, two, three. Lift up your hand all over the room, all over the room. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll look one more time. Anybody else? Awesome. Come on. Everybody stand up, and then we're going to pray.
Say this out with me, everybody in the room, especially you that raised your hands and just mix faith with this. That just simply says, I'm believing what I'm getting ready to pray. Say it with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I believe in my heart and I'm saying with my mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. Be my Lord, be my Savior forever and ever. I repent, I change my mind, and I'm changing my direction. Fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. Come on, we can clap a little bit better than that, can't we? Yeah. So many of you raised your hands. One thing that we'd ask.